Hello everybody, I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'd like to welcome you to this special edition of the Ministry Watch podcast. Regular listeners to the podcast or readers of our website know that we cover a lot of financial fraud. It's reasonable, in fact, to ask this question, and I will say that we get this question quite a bit, as a matter of fact. Are you guys just going for sensationalism, or is financial fraud really that big a problem? Well, the answer to that question is one that I don't like to share, and I know you probably don't like to hear, and that is, yes, it is a big problem. And that's why I wanted to have Matthew Branagh on the podcast. He'll help us identify just how big a problem it is, and he'll give us some advice about how we can reduce the chances of fraud occurring to the ministries and the churches that we lead and love. Uh, Matthew Branagh is an attorney and the editor for Church Law and Tax at Christianity Today. He leads an award-winning team of editors and designers with the planning, creation, and publishing of churchlawandtax.com and numerous print and digital resources. Matt also has a law degree, Juris Doctor, J.D., with honors from the University of Denver's Sturm College of Law. So, Matt, it's an honor to have you on the program. Welcome. Great, Warren. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be here and looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I think uh, what got us together here today, Matt, is that uh, we have written a lot of stories, as I've already mentioned, about financial fraud. And you saw a couple of them and you uh, pointed out to me something that I did not know. And that is that you guys had done a survey a couple of years ago, maybe not quite a couple of years ago now, uh, but more than a little more than a year ago, about Uh, You surveyed ministry leaders and church leaders and asked them whether financial fraud had ever occurred in their organization. And your findings confirmed, you know, what I just said in the setup to our conversation, which is that it happens a lot. Can you say a little bit more about the work that you did there, the survey and some of the key results? Absolutely. So uh, I've been with Church Law and Tax for almost 16 years now. And when I first started, we had um, talked with different accountants and CPAs, lawyers, church leaders at different times and places. And um, and in particular about this issue of fraud, um, embezzlement, those types of issues, financial misconduct. And a lot of the research that we would tap into would say, this probably happens about 10% of the time or at 10% of churches, 15%. And yet in those conversations we would have with those leaders or those accountants or those lawyers, there was this sense that that was very understated, that it actually happens much more frequently. And some would even sort of project it at like 25, 30%. And uh, we always sort of marveled at that and never could really get our heads around it and 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 do anything research-wise about it because we had other projects or priorities. But year after year after year, we would see, you know, headlines talking about cases of fraud going on at churches and oftentimes of sizable dollar amounts. And so in 2021, we decided this is a project we want to prioritize. We really want to get a better understanding of what's going on and, and, and if it is, in fact, a bigger problem than, than maybe the research had suggested. And so we commissioned a firm that um, is skilled in research, uh, data research and, and surveying, uh, that also has a background in ministry and understands churches and church environments. 
And we um, also enlisted a CPA by the name of Vana Lau, who's been in ministry uh, environments for over 25 years and is one of our senior editorial advisors. And uh, together, we put together a survey trying to understand just what, what's going on in churches. Uh, we got about 700 qualified responses. So you weed out some of the outliers and some of the junk that comes in with these surveys. And you get to a point where you can say these are 700 qualified responses from church leaders. And lo and behold, 30% said that they had dealt with some form of fraud in their histories. And so that figure that we had often heard anecdotally suddenly came to light in a very tangible and real way with this survey. Well, and let me just kind of put this in context a little bit, if I could, Matt. And uh, and I'm I'm speaking a little bit anecdotally here and a little bit kind of back of the envelope type stuff. But when you say 30%, I mean, some of the numbers that I hear is that there are 300,000 churches in this country. And 30%, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, you know, <laughs> that the unscientific uh, term for that is a whole lot. And, um, you know, and it's, it's all, like you say, sometimes they're pretty big numbers. And the other thing that's interesting to me about this, and, and again, this is where maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, is that the only other numbers that I've been seeing kind of along these lines were coming from the... Um, study for the Center of Global Christianity related to Gordon Conwell Seminary. I've been following their numbers probably for 20 or 25 years, but it's like every time I look for numbers, they're about the only ones that I can find. So your study is, I mean, in some ways, I guess you could say it's pretty groundbreaking, isn't it? Well, we certainly think so. And there's a lot of other organizations that have surveyed on this topic. We have a great deal of respect for a lot of work that's being done out there. I, I do think our survey is groundbreaking in some ways. And to your point, maybe does provide some further validation of what Gordon Conwell's center has come out with for many years. And I think right now it's projected, and this is on a global basis, but they estimate it's going to be a $70 billion a year problem as far as fraud in churches globally by 2025. Yeah. So that's a astounding number. And as we've talked about within our own ranks with this survey, think about where that money could be used for ministry or for other purposes if it wasn't being stolen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, okay. So we won't belabor this point. It's a lot of money. Uh, you guys say 30% of the churches have reported some form of fraud in the last 10 years. I know from my reporting that sometimes these frauds can be fairly small, you know, in the tens of thousands, um, but often they can also be in the millions and occasionally even in the tens of millions of dollars. So we know it's a big number. Let's pivot in our conversation, if we could, Matt, just a little bit and just say, um, what can we do to prevent this from happening? I mean, it, it, it seems a little bit implausible, a little bit Pollyannish to think that we can uh, take 30% down to zero with just a few simple tips, or we can take $50 billion a year, which is what uh, uh, Gordon Conwell is predicting uh, will be the total amount in the, in the relatively near future. But it's amazing to me, again, in reading your study, and reading some of the work that you guys have put out, if you just do three or four really pretty simple things, you can reduce the likelihood of fraud occurring in your church fairly dramatically. What are some of those things? Or that's exactly right. I think when we talk about what goes on or why it goes on, it boils down to easy opportunities. 
And by easy opportunities, we mean that there's not somebody paying as close of attention as they should. And, and along with that, that you, you might need more than one person paying attention, uh, not just having one person that's kind of overseeing this, because in the end, that could be the person that ultimately is, is the one doing this um, kind of activity. So I think that, you know, when you think about embezzlement as a topic or fraud in, in a more broader, broader scale than just embezzlement, you know, you often wonder about these really elaborate schemes that go on and, you know, the ways that things are manipulated for, for theft. And the reality is a lot of what we see is just, you know, it's just, you know, inappropriate expenses or reimbursements, um, just flat out stealing money out of the out of the offering plate or misappropriating checks, um, stealing church property or forging a check signature, um, altering a timesheet. These are things that these are the kinds of things that we saw through our survey that are the primary vehicles that are used for this kind of activity. And those things can be easily remedied by what we call internal controls. And that's where you're bringing in multiple people to provide oversight, checks and balances, verification, that things that are being received are counted and logged appropriately, things that are being paid out, that there's multiple people involved with that process. Because when you have multiple people involved, it, it, it winnows away so much of that easy opportunity that otherwise will exist if it's just one person involved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about internal controls for another couple of minutes, Matt. Um, for those of us that don't have an accounting background, what does uh, internal controls look like? Um, I know it involves things like division of duties, for example. You've already mentioned that briefly. Um, can you say a little bit more about that? Um, if, if, if I've never heard the phrase internal controls and I'm hearing this for the first time, what should I be looking for? Um, if I don't find them when I look in my church, what should I do? Great question. And it's one that if if you're trying to explain to someone that's not very familiar with accounting, it, it's probably easiest to explain it this way. Um, you never want the same person who has what we say custody or possession of the cash or you know what, what's been received or what's being paid out to also have the authorization to handle that money and also keep the records for that money. So it's sort of these three kind of different areas or, or duties, as you've described it, that you wanna make sure you've got not the same person doing all three of those things, and you've got someone else that's unrelated to that person that's involved at some point in one or more of those steps or processes. So for instance, let's talk about cash disbursements. And that's you know what we would say is how, how bills get paid you know, how a church has to pay its bills. Um, what you want to do is you want to have somebody who controls the check stock or the online access to funds. They're the ones with custody, okay? You don't want them to also be the person that can authorize a payment. You, you know, that's a check signer, someone that's allowed to make the transaction electronically. You need that to be somebody else. And then one of those two people might also do the record keeping uh, or it might be someone else entirely altogether. And that's the person that's just putting the information into the accounting system, does the bank reconciliations and so on. And so um, it's it's that kind of division of labor that when you've got two people involved that are unrelated, it's gonna eliminate a large 
majority of the of the type of opportunities that people can otherwise seize upon if no one else is really looking. Yeah. I want to uh, just spend, linger here for just another minute or two, Matt, because I know a lot of people, well, the average size of a church in America is less than 100 people. Uh, the average budget uh, of a church in this country um, is, I, I don't know what that number is, but probably in the three to 400,000 range, and I'm sure less than half a million, given the size. Um, a lot of churches only have one person on staff, at most two people on staff. It's um, I can imagine that a lot of people are listening to us right now and saying, you know what, I wish I had three or four people that I could divide these duties for, but I just don't. Um, do you have any advice and counsel for folks that might have these thoughts going through their heads right now as they hear you talk? Yeah, fantastic question. In fact, as we developed this research and then came out of it, we realized an opportunity to develop a companion training course that we've that we've now put together. And one of the points that we make in the training is specific to this question, right? Not every church is large enough to have a staff that can assign multiple people to do this, this kind of work. And one of the answers that I think is actually really valuable is you, you can, if you've got maybe only two staff members, maybe it's a pastor and a, and a church secretary or a church uh, administrator, uh, one of those ind individuals can be involved. You could have somebody from your church's board uh, you know, maybe someone that oversees finances uh, to play that role of oversight, reviewing, doing some of the things that we've described here. Uh, you can also even seek out somebody as a volunteer. It could be a volunteer role within your church. They could come in and, and play this role specifically. A lot of what we're talking about here is not difficult. It doesn't require any kind of specialized skills or training. It's really just making sure that what, what came in and what goes out that it wasn't just with one person all the way through. And it's also to make sure that the numbers do look like they add up. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's, that's valuable for two reasons. One is because of the, of the, of the actual process of verifying, but it's also the idea that, that you just are communicating to people in general that someone's watching. And that can be a very powerful deterrent. Just the fact that that process exists and that there's maybe multiple people involved, whether on a paid basis or a volunteer basis, can have a profound impact on somebody's thought process as far as whether they think they want to try and do something um, as far as stealing or embezzling is concerned. Yeah, that's. I think that's really great feedback. Just uh, the act of putting the procedures in place communicates to everybody involved that um, that folks are watching. And like you say, sunlight is, um, or what we say here a lot of times. And Matt, and I know you have a background as a journalist too. Sunlight is the best disinfectant, right? I mean, it's it's um, obviously. Uh, better to prevent. Uh, I mean, there's so much tragedy that occurs whenever fraud actually takes place. And it's a tragedy for everybody involved. And uh, how much better it would be to prevent that from happening in the first place. So I get that loud and clear. So Matt, um, I'm going to pivot in our conversation just a little bit. And uh, well, before I do that, let me just ask, is there anything else from your survey or from the training program that y'all developed, at least in part as a response to that? survey that you want to highlight for us right now? The biggest thing that stood out to us and to some of the different outside voices that we brought in to review the results, to interview and say, what do you think of these results? What stands out to you? One of the biggest themes that came up time and again 
was the the notion that this could not happen to us, right? A lot of people surveyed who hadn't had fraud occur to them said, it's not going to ever happen here, okay? And yet at the same time, uh, those who had experienced misconduct said prior to it occurring, this is about half of those who had it occur to them, said they had that same, it will never happen here mentality themselves. And then after it happened, 80% of them implemented the basic measures that we've talked about here, as well as some others Mm -hmm. um, that we cover in our training. And so it's sort of this idea of, you know, learn from the hard lessons of others, right? Don't think, okay, well, we know everybody that's here in our midst. We understand, you know, everyone's backstories. We trust everybody implicitly. And so it's just not not something we have to worry about. You do have to worry about it. And there's churches who will tell you they've experienced it because they didn't take it seriously themselves. Um, So that to me is like the biggest sort of aha moment, if you will, if there's if you've heard this and you've said, yeah, those are staggering numbers. Yeah, it's unfortunate this has happened to other churches, but you know, we've never had a problem and I don't think it's ever going to happen to us. Think again and and understand that there's a lot of churches that thought the same before they experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very good. That's a good word, Matt. You know, it's funny that uh, a lot of uh, Christians who understand about such doctrines as you know, original sin and the fall, and the, uh, it, it's it is ironic to me that uh, we somehow have a blind spot whenever um, uh, these issues come up. It's 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 almost as if we have um, not only have we jettisoned uh, prudence, just good old fashioned common sense and prudence, but we also, in some fairly significant ways, have to jettison what the Bible teaches us about human nature in order to um, develop the attitudes that we develop. So, um, yeah, so I really appreciate uh, your perspective uh, and uh, appreciate the results of the survey. It was a, it was a real eye opener for me. Now, Matt, I really am going to pivot in the few minutes that we have remaining and just ask, um, t- tell us a little about your organization. You guys are related to Christianity Today, and I want to make sure that our our listeners have a little bit of a sense of the full scope of what it is that you do, because I. You know, I know that there aren't a lot of folks that do what we do uh, in the sort of the Christian marketplace, and I was delighted to to find you and to find out about uh, what you do. So I was wondering if you would just maybe take a minute or two and share that with our listeners. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. I, I appreciate that, and um, the 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 roots for our publications and website date back to the early 1980s. Um, which uh, was around the time that a, a attorney by the name of Richard Hammer wrote a book called Pastor, Church, and Law. And he wrote it because he was asked to teach a class at a local seminary for pastors on legal issues, and he agreed to do it. And when he went to build the curriculum, he couldn't find any books that he could use for the class. And mm-hmm. so he realized this is something that needed to be written. And so he set out to, to write it. And After he published the book, he was quickly um, on the radar, so to speak, around the country with churches and organizations. And so he was a highly sought after speaker, started speaking, and then met another gentleman along the way in that in that uh, time by the name of Jim Cobble, who um, has a background in risk management. 
And the two of them launched a newsletter called Church Law and Tax Report. And that was in 1987. Um, and then since then, the, the work that they did uh, rapidly grew. They released another newsletter focused on finances. They started a tax guide that we still publish today. Um, they also uh, started a, a, a training program for abuse prevention in churches. That was in 1993. That's called Reducing the Risk that we still publish today. And so they just saw well before a lot of people this growing need for churches to pay attention to these legal issues, these risk management issues, and really try to get ahead of problems by, by way of prevention, um, rather than seeing themselves dealing with it on the back end after something regrettable had happened. Um, so over time, they launched a website and you know did some other things that were you know more digitally related. And then in 2005, they sold that business to Christianity Today, which is a not-for-profit. It's the publishing ministry that was started by Billy Graham in 1956. And um, it really fits into the core of Christianity today as far as wanting to um, inform and educate and equip pastors and church leaders for more faithful and effective service. And so that's what we do. And that's what we've continued to do since acquiring it in 2005 is just publishing um, great content that helps churches understand their legal, their financial, their tax, and their risk management um, issues, and hopefully get smarter and better at it so that they don't run into problems. Yeah, exactly right. Well, very good. Well, I really affirm your work and appreciate it, and I'm so grateful for you being on the program today. And and Matt, you know, a lot of times I ask a final question of my guests, which is, there is there something that you wanted to say that I just wasn't smart enough to ask you that I didn't know enough to ask. Is there anything that you want to maybe a final word that you could leave us with? <laughs> wow. Um, I I don't think so. I think you, you covered the basis. It, it's really good. I, you know, one thing I'll mention from the survey and not to take too much more time here, but um, you know, uh, the, the, the other kind of surprising thing that came out of the survey, and I think, I think your listeners will appreciate, and I know you will too, is that when we talk about the profile of a perpetrator for fraud, um, it's it's it goes back to your point here a moment ago, which is they look and sound just like you and me, right? It, it, they're good people in our minds. They're they're the men and women that we serve alongside, that we've known a long time, and and yet something happens, something goes amiss that that prompts them to go down this path. And sometimes it's reasons that are very understandable. It's they had some kind of medical crisis, huge medical debt that arose in their families, and they start doing something, they, they get a little bit of money, and then they keep doing it. They kind of assure themselves they're going to repay it. They're just borrowing it, and then it just snowballs, and they just continue. And then suddenly it's in the six figures. Um, other times it's it's more nefarious reasons, unfortunately, but you know, I think that that kind of goes back to the spirit of that finding about it can't happen to us. It's it's that you believe that because you think you know everyone around you and you understand their circumstances when, in fact, oftentimes we don't. Uh, we don't always know what's going on behind the scenes. And that's why protocols and procedures like the ones that we advise are really important. It, it helps thwart, thwart those problems. And it may even help someone who finds themselves suddenly tempted from even going any further than that because they realize somebody's watching. Yeah. Yeah. There's an old uh, saying, my Latin is weak, Matt, but so I will, I will give you the English version of it, which is the, the corruption of the best 
is the worst. Uh, and and the you know the idea behind that is is that whenever good people uh, fall, um, that, that there's something more tragic about that than than an evil person getting caught. And um, so I, I I think that what we're doing here, what you're doing, is so helpful in trying to help us avoid temptation. Let's just you know let's just you know, the Bible teaches just avoid temptation. You know, don't put yourself in a situation where you might be tempted. And the, the ideas, the issues that you're talking about today will really help us do that. So thank you. God bless you. Carry on, man. Wonderful, Warren. Thank you so much. And uh, God bless you and the work that you all are doing at Ministry Watch. I appreciate that. Well, that brings to a close my uh, conversation with uh, Matt Branagh. Matt and I, I have mentioned a number of resources on today's program, and I have links to them in the show notes. We talked about the the, the article about the survey itself. There's a training program. Uh, I'll include links to that as well. At Ministry Watch, we've published a booklet called 75 Red Flags to Look For if you're doing sort of a deep dive self-examination of your own ministry, and I'll put a link to that uh, document as well on uh, the show notes for today's program. So uh, otherwise, uh, I think that sort of brings our conversation to a close. Uh, If uh, you are walking or listening in your car, uh, when you get to a place where you're no longer in motion, check out those resources. I think you'll find them helpful. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh, and we get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.